Catherine had worn the blue dress, the silky one that slid over every curve, the way the ocean caresses a golden sandy shore. When another pilot had twirled her on the floor in a jitterbug, nearly every man at the dance had seen tantalising glimpses of bare flesh above the tops of her nylon stockings. She danced and flirted with several other men. He didn't recall them all, but she'd come to him for the last dance of the evening, to Moonlight Serenade. I'd do anything to fly in one of your aircraft, Paul, she whispered in his ears as he guided her across the concrete floor. The small of her back was damp with perspiration. I can't change the rules, Catherine, he replied. I said, anything, Paul. He saw the look in her eyes and knew she meant it. He felt his body start to stir just as the dance ended, and he shepherded her to a quieter corner of the hangar, behind the parked aircraft, grabbing fresh drinks on the way from a steward carrying a tray. What would it take, Paul? she pressed, sipping her brandy and dry, her free hand brushing a strand of hair from his forehead. An act of parliament that allowed women to fly, and you're enlistment in the Air Force, I suppose. She said, straight-faced, I can't wait. You know there are women flying military aircraft in England and the United States. There was a picture of Pauline Gower, the commandant of the British Air Transport Auxiliary, in last Friday's Chronicle. The ATA fly bombers and fighters from factories to operational squadrons. True, but we don't have a branch of the ATA here in Rhodesia, and we don't have any aircraft factories. Flying excites me, she said, moving closer to him. He felt the touch of thigh against his leg. He looked around to make sure no one else saw. I used to like it too, he said. It excites me a great deal. I do what I have to in order to fulfil my pleasures, Paul. How's your drink? he asked. Finished. She crouched and placed her empty glass on the floor. She looked up her dark eyes fixed on him. As she stood, she ran a fingernail along the crease in the front of one leg of his uniform trousers. Her finger stopped at the belt of his tunic. The arc lights in the hangar roof were all on, illuminating the drunken partygoers, some of whom were in mid-kiss. What are you going to do now? she asked. Uh, right now, uh... Go to bed, I expect, he said, checking his watch. It was after eleven. If you're not going to let me fly one of your aeroplanes, will you at least let me use your telephone? Of course, he said. We can go back to the orderly room. It'll be empty. Can you direct me to the ladies' room first, please? she asked. When she'd finished, they walked together to the orderly room, close but not holding hands. Had he guessed, he wondered later, what would happen next? He sat behind his desk, switched on a small lamp, and pushed the phone across to her. He riffled through some papers, 
inwardly groaning at the mountain of administrative work waiting for him the next day. She sat on the desk, opposite him, and picked up the receiver. Instead of dialing, though, she slowly, casually brought her left leg up until her foot was resting next to his entree. He stared at the expanse of bare skin as the blue silk slid down her thigh. She adjusted the suspender and looked at him. You can touch it, if you like. She held the telephone by its cord, the handpiece dangling in front of his eyes like a swinging hypnotist's watch. She moved her foot in an arc across the desk, sweeping aside some paperwork. She was seated there now, in front of him, her other foot on the table, knees raised.